Welcome to the official podcast of Apostolic Lighthouse. We'd like to thank you for listening today. We pray this message blesses you and encourages you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Amen. Some of the best time you can spend is praising God. Some of the most quality time you can spend is praying. Amen. Some of the best time you can spend is reading the Bible. Amen. And definitely coming to the house of God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. While you remain standing, would you open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter number 10? Luke, chapter number 10. Amen. And verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? Father, thank you so much for your word. God, let the anointing, uh, just let your word uh, roost in every heart and mind in this place today. In Jesus' name, we give you all the glory and credit for what your word does. Uh, It never returns void. It always accomplishes uh, the purpose for which it was sent. Uh, And let us be willing vessels to receive it today. In Jesus' name, and everybody say... Amen. Clap your hands and you may be seated. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. A lawyer in this context of the word was an expert in Old Testament law that God gave Moses or referred to as the Mosaic law. Now this lawyer's first question to Jesus about what he needed to do to inherit eternal life did not come from a sincere heart but rather from a know-it-all heart that wanted to test Jesus and try to trip him up because he thought he maybe he knew more about the Bible than Jesus did. Now, Jesus answered his question with a couple of questions. Amen. You know, and sometimes when somebody is asking you a question and you know that they're trying to ask you something that's going to trip you up or cause you to be embarrassed or whatever, You know, the best thing to do is answer that question with a question. You know, like, uh, why do you ask? Or, uh, speaking of that, what do you think of, and then just go on on a different tangent, like you're just ignoring the question. But Jesus, he he answered the question with two questions because he wanted to see what this guy thought about his own question. So Jesus answers the questions. He answers Jesus' two questions. Jesus said, you answered right. Amen. This should have been the end of the discussion. Amen. But this guy couldn't let it go. And he asked one more question that would come back to bite him. But he did it. Amen. He did it trying to justify himself. He wanted to make himself look good. And he was expecting Jesus to answer that last question 
amen, in a particular way so that he could boast in front of Jesus and the crowd saying, yep, I knew you were going to answer it that way and I have practiced exactly what you just said. Amen. His second question to Jesus is the title of my sermon today, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus was about to blow this guy's mind by answering the question with the story of a good Samaritan. And the story goes that a certain Jewish man left Jerusalem on his way to Jericho. Amen. And he, on that way, he was robbed. He was beaten. And they stripped his valuable clothes off of him. Amen. He was left on the side of the road half dead. This particular road, though, was frequently, you know, traveled by Jewish priests and Levites. So it's no surprise that the first two people that came across this injured man was a Jewish priest and then a Levite. Both were ministers. Both were men of God who should have been prime candidates to help. But sadly, they didn't help. They saw him. They saw his condition. And they purposely and deliberately walked to the other side of the road and passed on by. Amen. First the priest and then the Levite. They went on their merry way. Maybe they were too busy to help, not wanting to get involved in somebody else's troubles. Or maybe they just didn't want to get their nice clothes and their robes dirty. Amen. I'm sure by this point in the story, that Jewish, that religious lawyer scratching his head and starting to wonder if two Jewish ministers aren't going to help a fellow Jew in trouble. Where is Jesus going with this story? And the story takes a drastic turn when Jesus introduces the next character, a certain Samaritan. Now you have to understand that the Jews despised the Samaritans. The Jews hated them. The Samaritans were basically a people that were half Jew and half non-Jew. They had intermarried, and because of that, the Jews thought that they were tainted and their bloodlines were corrupted, and they disliked them even than Gentiles. Now, Gentiles were completely just non-Jewish people. Amen. And uh, they just didn't like them. They had no dealings with the Samaritans, and they went out of their way to avoid them. They shunned them like the plague. So when Jesus begins to talk about a certain Samaritan coming as the third person to encounter this wounded man, boy, this lawyer's ears perked up and his eyebrows raised. Amen. That's the last thing he wanted to hear was that a good Samaritan would be the hero of the story. Amen. He really wanted Jesus just to answer the question. He wishes he wouldn't have asked the question now. He wanted to ask, answer the question. It's only Jews that are my neighbor. And if he would have said that, I said, yeah, I only help Jews out. Yay. But right off the bat, he said, oh, two Jews don't even help a Jew out. So that shoots your theory, Mr. Lawyer. But he wanted to justify himself. Because he wouldn't even give Samaritans and Gentiles a time of day, let alone help them as a neighbor should. But this Samaritan did what those ministers refused to do. He did the right thing. He did the neighborly thing. He had compassion on the injured man. And though he was a total stranger, and though this man was a Jew, and he, he knew this man, if he would have been conscious and knew that it was a Samaritan helping him, he might not even have helped. You know, he wouldn't, oh, I don't want no help from you. 
Amen. You know what? When you're down and out, you're amazed. I'm amazed at what kind of people will take help from anybody when you're in a certain position. Praise God, I'm telling you, amen. When you think somebody's your enemy and they're ready to help you, man, you'll take some help when you're in a bad enough pickle. Praise God. You know, the irony of it all is if the tables were turned and the good Samaritan was half dying in the road, amen, that Jew that was laying there, who knows, maybe he was an exception, but he probably would have walked on the other side like the priest and the Levite. The good Samaritan administered first aid, helped the man up on his animal that he was riding, took him to a nearby inn, and took care of him as long as he, he could before he had to go. And before he left, he gave money to the innkeeper, amen, to say, hey, here's some money. And even if you run out of this money, you know I'm good for it. Put it on my tab, and the next time I'm in the area, I'll make good for it. That's a neighbor. Amen. He gave of his time. He gave of his talent. He gave of his treasure to help out a complete stranger. Who is my neighbor? Jesus finishes a story and asks the religious lawyer one last question. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 36. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer could not help but only come to one conclusion. He said, he that showed mercy on him, then Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. Don't just go after one type of people. Don't just be a neighbor to one kind of people. Go after everybody. Go and do thou likewise. Anybody that needs mercy is your neighbor. Anybody that needs help is your neighbor. Amen. You see, keeping these two greatest of all commandments, loving God with everything and your neighbor as yourself, has eternal ramifications. See, the lawyer asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, "What do you? how do you read? And he gave the two greatest commandments. He said, this do and live. That's it. That's the ticket. Amen. In other words, our eternal life is predicated on us keeping these two commandments. I know we got to be born again. That's the first part. We got to be saved. But then as we walk with God, we got to keep these two commandments, which is going to help us keep the whole Bible. Praise God. Amen. How can we inherit eternal life if we only love God and only love ourselves? We must love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen. Praise God. For example, if I don't forgive my neighbor, then God will not forgive me. Because he said he wouldn't. If God does not forgive me, then I will not inherit eternal life. Because the Bible said, sin will not be going to heaven. So I've got to take care of my sins. So i got to forgive others so God will forgive me of my sins. So that I will have my heart ready to go if I need to go. Because we never know when we're going to go. Amen. So the conclusion or the moral of Jesus' story was that those that care enough to show mercy are true neighbors. Go and do thou likewise. Jesus himself exemplified the principle of what, amen, what it was to, for people, you know, when, when, you know, to be a neighbor to somebody when he was eating and drinking with publicans and sinners. You know, people that the Jewish leadership would never rub shoulders with. 
They didn't even want him in the synagogue. And he was out there just eating with the commoners, the poor people, the publicans, the, the tax collectors, the sinner people or whatever. He was eating with them. He was visiting with them. He was helping them and doing things for them. Matthew eleven nineteen. the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, behold, a friend of publicans and sinners. You know, he went places that others would not go because of their lack of neighborly attitude. You remember the Samaritans? They're from Samaria. Samaria was right next to Judea. Amen. But if you needed to go, if if it was a shortcut to go through Samaria to get to Judea, the, the Jews would not go. They refused to put their feet on Samaritan soil. That's how, how hateful they were. They would walk all the way around and take the long way to go to Judea. But Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. I'm a Jew. You're a Jew. What are you doing going through? I'm going to Samaria. There's a lady at a well that needs to me to talk to her. Yeah, she's a Samaritan lady. And she's a woman too. Well, I know we're in 2019, but back then, you know, it was a different thing, you know. And... He went, and his disciples, they went to the town and tried to get some food while he was there on a mission to talk to this woman. Amen. John chapter 4, verse 7, There cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Then saith the woman, verse 9, of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest me a uh, drink, uh, drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaria. She was shocked. It's like, hey, there's a Jew here. Uh-oh, it's going to be rough. He's going to yell at me. He's going to say, I'm hogging up the well now, lady. Hit the road. No, he, he was there to help her. Amen. I'm telling you, Jesus showed us how to be a neighbor and showed us who was our neighbor. Jesus even did the unthinkable. He touched a leper. Oh my goodness. I'm not eating with him tomorrow. He touched a person that was a leper. How terrible. That was unthinkable. Mark chapter 1 verse 40. There came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying to him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be thou clean. See, a leper had to identify himself or herself as a leper. And they had to walk around saying, unclean, unclean. So everybody could run to the other side of the street and get in their house and close the shutters and look. Are they off the street yet? Seriously, that's the way it was. A leper was not even allowed to live with where the rest of the people live. They had to go out of the city. They had to go out of the camp when it was Old Testament times in, in the wilderness. Amen. And all, and all the lepers, of course, they would congregate together because they could stay together with each other because they were lepers. And that's how leper colonies came to, in, into existence. But touching a leper was just not done in those days. You were, you were unclean if you did it. Amen. But Jesus didn't care what anybody thought. Amen. Because he, it was his touching the leper was from compassion. And that's what we need as people of God. Compassion needs to overrule all these other taboo things that keep us from allowing people to be the neighbors that they need to be to us. Compassion and the love of God and mercy. Praise God. 
He wanted to clearly show us what being a neighbor was all about. Praise God. So what was Jesus really saying when He said, Go and do thou likewise? He wanted to let everyone know in no uncertain terms who their neighbor was. Let's just talk about it a little bit. My neighbor is not just somebody I agree with. My neighbor is not just somebody that thinks like me. My neighbor is not just a a part of my bloodline or my family. My neighbor is not someone that looks like me. My neighbor is not just somebody that is from where I'm from. My neighbor is not just somebody I know. My neighbor is not just somebody that believes like me. And listen to this, my neighbor is not just somebody that worships the same God that I do. Amen. Just look out there. There's a lot of neighbors out there. That we were, oh no. You a Jew? Not my neighbor. Like that lawyer guy. This world, you know, we see it. There's so much hate out there sometimes. So much prejudice and divisiveness and a whole lot of people only into themselves and all about themselves and and Paul told Timothy that would be one of the signs of the end times. Second Timothy 3 verse 1. This know also that the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of them own selves. But we desperately need people. And I'm, I know I'm looking at a lot of those people right now. Amen. That already know who their neighbor is. And I thank God for that. We desperately need people to really know who their neighbor is. So this world become a better place one person at a time. Amen. Don't just look at the masses. Don't just look at the millions. Don't just realize that within a 40 mile radius of this church, there are like 25 million people. Amen. And say, whoa, that's blowing my mind. Amen. You just be a neighbor to one person at a time. Amen. And that's how you do it. Just one act of kindness at a time. One hospitable act at a time. And that's how you just become and be a good neighbor. Amen. When we truly understand and embrace the answer to this question, we'll have a huge impact on everybody we come in contact with. When we show people Jesus, and when we give people Jesus, amen, that that shows us that we are correctly answering the question, who is my neighbor? Amen. You know, in Bible times and in, in Bible areas, in those days, hospitality was extended to whoever needed it. Not just family and friends, but acquaintances, total strangers also. People would just come up and, and say, hey, you know, I, I just, uh, just traveling and, you know, I'm sure hope you could help us out or whatever. And then, man, they would roll out the red carpet for people that they didn't even know. That, that's something we ought to, you know, kind of get in our minds. Amen. Praise God. You know, hospitality is the act of being hospitable. And hospitable is being friendly and neighborly and kind, considerate and courteous, approachable and compassionate. That's what hospitable is. And that's where we get the word from the word hospitality is the word hospital. When you go into a hospital, there's hurting people in there and they get help in a hospital. Amen. People that can't help themselves. Someone had to drive them there. An ambulance had to take them there. Amen. Somebody had to call 911. They get help at a hospital. 
Healing takes place at a hospital. There are people that work there that care, amen, and have concern and compassion, and they work on helping people. I'm going to tell you something right now, amen. There's a lot of things. You, you, some people might say, well, I don't know how you do it being a pastor. You know what? I don't know how emergency personnel do it. I don't know how emergency room people do it. I don't even know how, amen, caregivers do it. Praise God. I, I've done it for just like a week and a half with my dad when before he passed away. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is something. This is like, you got to really... And this, that was my dad, but a total stranger being a caregiver, a total stranger, amen, as strangers are rolling up in the emergency room and they are giving all of their, their energy and their know-how to try to save lives of somebody they don't even, they might, they might not even know their political affiliation. They might not even know what they, what they believe or where they're from or where they're born or how much money they have. Well, I gotta know all that before I'm gonna help you. Oh no, it's like, this is a human being and they're about ready to die and my job is to save them. Amen. That's what the hospital's all about. Amen. So people sacrifice physically, emotionally, and mentally that work at a hospital. Because it's just nonstop. Wow, it's it's amazing. And you know what? This church is a spiritual hospital. This church is a spiritual rehab center. This church is a spiritual wellness center. And you know what? Really? This church is a spiritual neighborhood. Amen. This church is a... Think of it as a neighborhood. And everybody that comes through those doors are our neighbor. Hi, neighbors. You know, Chuck came through the door this morning. Hi, neighbor. Hey, the tall stranger. I don't know until I get to know him, you know. I got to get... Oh, get, get over there and shake his hand. Good to see you, Chuck. Welcome to the house of God. Jesus and us, we're so happy you're here. Amen. Each row of seats represents where we live. It's our block, so to speak. You know, because, you know, we were talking this morning, you know, about some of the early ones about, you know, how creatures of habit, people sit in the same seats in church. Amen. If I had if I had you get up right at the beginning of service and switch sides, everybody would be discombobulated and like, I don't know, I'm, like, I'm not going to be able to feel God on this side of the church over here. Because we're so creatures of habit. Okay, so in your little seat that you sit, amen, in your block, amen, are you okay with any anybody coming and worshiping next to you? Anybody coming and praying next to you? Amen, that's your neighbor. You got to be neighborly. Amen. You say, well, that's that's the way it is in every church. You know, everybody's welcomed openly and it's all good. And stuff. oh, no, you'd be surprised and shocked. I'm not going to be it's not this sermon's not going to go into a downer thing on how, what churches do to some first time guests. I just wanted to touch that in passing to let you know that it is important. Amen. And, and, that, and I'm so thankful that one of the, the main things that I hear about from ever, even the regulars to even first time guests and in between is, you know what? They're so friendly in this church. There's so much love in this church. It just seems like, amen, they, it's a welcoming atmosphere. That's because you are our neighbor and we're loving you like we would want to be loved. 
Amen. You know when when guests walk into a church for the first time, they're basically looking for three things right off the bat. Amen. And then it goes from there. Number one, unconditional love. Number two, unconditional acceptance. And number three, a sense of belonging. Amen. You know, is it one of the greatest yearnings of humankind is they want to belong to something. Amen. Something worthwhile, something awesome. And people are going to come in here with all kinds of issues sometimes. People are going to come in here with all kinds of problems sometimes. There are going to be people that need sins forgiven and you name it from A to Z. But welcome, neighbor. It's welcome to the hospital. You can't come here. Oh, well, they said this was the emergency room. Um, I'm not here. Oh, then I'm just going to, where am I going to go if I can't come to the emergency room? This is the hospital. The hospital always has an emergency room. Amen. And that's where you drop everything. Stat, let's go. Get on there. Everybody on that situation. We need to be a neighbor to them. We need to show them God's love. And that's what God's amazing grace is all about. What's amazing grace? The unmerited favor of God. God will give His grace out. Amen. With no strings attached right off the bat. So that people can see and receive the wonderful grace of God. Max Lucado said this, God, God loves you just the way you are, but He refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be like Jesus. And that's what we all come as we are and say, welcome neighbor. And then we all begin to walk to close, be closer to Jesus. We all begin to read the Word of God and let prayer and praise and the Word mold us and make us and shape us into being what Jesus wants us to be. Amen. Loving your neighbor as yourself, though, it will mess up your schedule sometimes. Wow. Maybe that was the Levite's problem. Maybe that was the priest's problem. Yeah, I'm late for a meeting. You know, very important, godly meeting. Yeah, this guy's dying. Well, that has nothing to do with God. I got to go, you know, read here or something. I said, we can't love God and not love people. It's, it's not mutually exclusive. You, you love you love God and you have to love people. Yes. Amen. Praise God. So, but loving your neighbor as yourself, it will take more of your time. It'll take more of your talent, more of your treasure. It could it, your schedule could be upside down every once in a while. Amen. You know, uh, it, it'll definitely slow you down as you look to the needs of others. It'll take more patience and understanding. Amen. Do you really believe that the good Samaritan had nothing better to do with his time? Oh, look, I was on. You know. I was just going to take a vacation on this road. You know, I was just going to, right where this guy fell, I was just going to put a tent right there, and I was going to have, you know, barbecue on my little hibachi. And, and it's funny that I just had extra time, and I, you know, this guy was busy too. Amen. But he saw that that's more important. Amen. Praise God. A good neighbor will make time to help a fellow neighbor. Who is my neighbor? The answer is quite simple. Anybody made in God's image? Uh-oh. Wait, he's talking about like everybody? Yep. Oh, how about this one? Anybody with an eternal soul? Uh-oh. That's everybody. How about this one? Anybody who Jesus died on the cross for? Whoa. So if you find somebody that Jesus didn't die on the cross for... Maybe you can exempt that one. Say, hey, hit the road. You're not my neighbor. But you're not going to find anybody like that. Amen. 
Now, here's the kicker. Does that mean that even my enemy is considered my neighbor? Uh-huh. Enemy has a soul. Enemy is made in God's image. Enemy, Jesus died on the cross. What did Jesus say about it? Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. That's what the Old Testament, Old Testament people, a lot of them, you know, they had a saying, you know, hey, I'm loving mine. That's what this lawyer was all about. He was probably going along with that idea. Well, if that's my enemy, Samaritans are my enemy. Gentiles are my enemy. Amen. So I'm going to love my neighbor. Jews are my neighbor. And that's where that whole mentality came. And Jesus said, you have heard that it was said that, but I'm blowing that out of the water. Matthew 5.44, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. He told us to love them. Bless them. Pray for them. In other words, be a neighbor to them. Amen. It doesn't mean that you're going to let your enemy move into your bedroom. And you're on the couch. And it's like, well... I wonder if this is taking it too far. It doesn't even mean that you have to allow your enemy in your house if, it, if there's a combative situation. It just means you got to just try. You know, do your part. Don't be an enemy back at them is what God's saying. Amen. In other words, be a neighbor to them. Apostle Paul said it like this, Romans 12 and verse 14, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. When you treat your enemy as a neighbor, and when you treat your enemy, amen, not like an enemy, but and not like they are treating you, but you treat him as a neighbor, you bring guilt and shame to them, and that could very well change their attitude and heart towards you. Amen. Is the enemy going to like punch you out when you're handing them a pie and like a cup of coffee? Probably not. Amen. Many an enemy has been turned into a friend being a neighbor to them. Now, some people have a hard time with this teaching. Some people, you know, they draw the line. Hey, I, I can see everybody else and even strangers. But when it comes to mortal enemies, I don't know. I'm having a hard time with that. Amen. They think it's going too far. They draw the line at their enemies. But may I remind everyone that we were all once God's enemies. And yet, He had compassion on us while we were His enemy. And He died for us anyway so we could live. Romans 5, 6 says, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why did He do it? Because of His compassion and love for us. And my last verse today, Romans 5.10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. When we were enemies. Didn't say if we were. When we were. At some point in our life, we were enemies to God. Amen. When you're not on God's team, you're an enemy of God. So who is my neighbor? Everyone. Everybody say it. 
Everyone. Say it again. Everyone. It's like some people that... (laughs) One more time. Everyone. People are thinking through their mind, like flashing through their life. Oh, I don't know. Everyone. Oh, man, some of these people. Okay. Woo. It's a tall order. But God knows. Amen. Just to do what we can to be a good name. And I know we get rejected. And I know some people are impossible. And I know, that, you know, sometimes you just have to cut it off and, and, you know, cut your, you know, losses, you know, and just move away and put, just put that person up in prayer, you know, between you and God. But, you know, you can, you can at least try. That's all God's saying. Just try to be a neighbor to people. Amen. Don't write people off just because. Amen. Have an open mind and, and say, oh, everybody, Jesus died for everybody. Everybody's my neighbor and help me to be a, a neighbor. Help me to love them as I love myself. Amen. Would you stand with me? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. What an incredible message. Thank you again for joining us on the podcast and may God bless you.